the um, the name choosing system that I have become familiar with in Asia, um, <clears throat> that the whole idea of changing the name is uh, in regard to changing the lineage. Mm. So when you join um, a, a group or an organization that has a lifestyle or a lineage change, it's often associated with the name change also. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, the wise old ones who are choosing the name will choose the name for the new uh, ordinate in one of two ways, which wind up being the same thing. And the one or two ways is, is that either this is a characteristic we see in this guy, or it's a characteristic that we wish we did see in this guy. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, is that this winds up being uh, kind of kind of uh, a fortune telling or a destiny. Mm -hmm. uh, because um, the, the point is, is that when one gets the name, uh, <clears throat> it uh, might have some value. That uh, many people are given spiritual names here, there and yonder, and they don't even bother to change their, their name. They continue to use their given name. Mm -hmm. And don't even bother to change the name to where others um, that even if they disrobe, they will not give up that spiritual name. Mm -hmm. But it's, it means something. OK, and there's a lot of uh, uh, in Asia that once they take that uh, uh, ordained name, they use that. Some of them even change it legally. Mm. And so in that regard, sometimes it's hard to even find out what the name of the, the, the born to name of the guy or the legal name. You don't even know what it was because he doesn't use it at all. Right. It's, it's to him. He's left that lineage almost like you don't really care what your name was in a prior birth. Say you were some village idiot in three, three BC. Do you care now what his name was? Mm -hmm. No, it, is, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's too far in the past. It's meaningless. So um, that issue about the spiritual name is something that one can grow into uh, or to magnify because they already have that trait. And so a name like Adama Vitu, the word Vitu, which actually has the word, you can see the word vision kind of in there. Okay. And so uh, 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 Dhamma Vitu means one who is a knower of the Dhamma. Uh, uh, just like in the, also in the Pali, Loka Vitu would be the knower of the world. Mm -hmm. This is something that is in fact uh, uh, spoken of about the Buddha but only in the regard that he knows enough about the world, at least the world of the planet Earth, as opposed to the world of human beings. Right. Because the world of human beings is dangerous. 
Like that's all we really need to know of the world. But some people get way off into thinking that it's magic in the sense that the Buddha knows every fish in the sea and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. By name, that's, right. not what, that's not what it means. So, knower of the Dhamma or Dhamma Vitu. <clears throat> and, a, and, and one who has a name like that is going to wind up being a polished scholar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so what does Rato mean? The word Rato actually is um, a class of words like Nandi. And that it has to do with with pleasure. Mm. And that all of those words, uh, joy, pleasure, um, bliss, can either have a sexual connotation or another kind of uh, connotation, or it can have a spiritual connotation. All right. And so um, in that regard, uh, the word rato has to do with the quality of the. uh, The fruit. Of the path of soda pot. All right, that there are seven stages of Sotapan. I didn't, by the way, even know this until I discovered it in the literature and I howled with laughter when I saw this years after they had given me the name, that this is actually the explanation that Dhamma Rato is one who delights in the Dhamma. Mm-hmm. is delighted by the Dhamma. He's in the Dhamma. Completely, uh, now, we could use the word immersed but I don't think that that's a really good idea because that that word immersion is what happens when you're drowning. Mm. Sure. All right, but it does have to do with the quality of uh, uh, the attitude of uh, the noble mind. Mm. <clears throat> that's what the word means. Rato, Dhamma Rato. Mm-hmm. Now we can play with it. And and take the uh, O and separate that out like Dhamma Rat. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a common name in in Thailand uh, and that um, it has that that kind of value. Is that it uh, pushes one into being delightful. Mm hmm. And that that delight in the Dhamma is one of the seven stages of uh, a, a Sotapan, is it? Actually, it's the fruition stage. It's the seventh knowledge. That, in fact, if you like, we can go ahead and talk about those seven stages if it's sure. of any interest to you. Yeah. Okay. The first stage is actually the practice that uh, Westerners have come to know as meditation, but a better word would just use the word practice because this is not meditation. That meditation is a Catholic thing. (laughs) That what we're doing here is we're practicing a set of skills. And that we uh, have any moment we have the opportunity to practice those skills. We don't have to go off someplace and sit down in the corner or in a meditation hall or anything. But what the Buddha did recommend was going into seclusion to get away from other people. Mm -hmm. 
because why? Because being around other people means that you're either mentally or verbally sharing each other's malicious gossip and lies and culture. But when you get away from it, go to the forest, to the foot of a tree, to an empty hut, to a pile of straw, and sit down and start being aware of what's going on around you and in you. That's the whole Satipatthana. In fact, there's kind of when you get an overall vision or a view of the Satipatthana, you'll understand how the Buddha put Anathanasati together as a method of practicing the Eightfold Noble Path. So uh, the Satipatthana has to do with originally it was the elements. Now chemists have gotten 92 and they're still counting. But in the old days, uh, it's they were very um, accurate. Humans were accurate then. They just needed more information and more discovery, but they already understood elements in the sense of that there is solid things, earth. Then there is liquid things like water that flow and move. And then there is a fire. And then the last one is the smoke or the air. So these are the four elements, and you can actually see that in physics according to temperature and energy. The things that are solid, like water would be solid when it's cold, even hydrogen, you get it cold enough, it'll get it solid. But then there's a stage in between where it's a liquid. And then um, there is, when it gets hotter than that, it goes into a gaseous state or air, but if you get things hot enough, then the molecules start to break down um, and you have a free-floating, what's called a plasma state, which is truly on fire. And so this fits actually with uh, modern physics quite well. <clears throat> no problem at all here so far, except that the Buddha recognized that all of the meditators of the time were meditating upon the Satipatthana in various ways, uh, but only in one context. In other words, they would have mud disc or leaves that were stitched together. And they would look at that um, object and then close their eyes and recreate it and make what's called a nemata mm -hmm. or an internal image of it. You can also do that with water that in fact, uh, Herman Hesse's book about Siddhartha, he winds up being the riverboat man, just it's, listening to the river, just listening to the water flow. Okay, so that's the water meditations. And in more common times, you would call that crystal gazing, crystal balls, that kind of stuff is normally associated with water. But fire has always and, and remains traditionally the strongest meditation that in fact kids sitting around a campfire mm -hmm. will get drawn right into that fire. Right. The candle gazing and uh, uh, that kind of thing uh, is uh, comes out of the dark past. And then the last one is sky gazing or nighttime gazing, stargazing, that kind of stuff. And in the old days, that was the best television in town. Was to go out in the night and just wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
and they marveled over it. Well, now with electricity, we all <clears throat> we hardly have any sky above. Even here at my house, there's very few stars, but I can go right over to the watt, which is right is only about uh, <clears throat> maybe 400 meters. But that's high enough to get away from <clears throat> all of the light pollution below. And we have a starkly brilliant sky here. Because we're out on an island here and and uh, uh, there's no cities around. Um, uh, the closest city is more than 100 kilometers. Uh, so anyway, that whole idea then, the Buddha said, yes, this is all well and good, but it doesn't lead to liberation, mm -hmm. including all of the jhanas and everything that guys can get in by doing this kind of stuff. And so what he did, uh, the process that he went through was turning the Satipatthana from the outside to the inside. Mm -hmm. And in and in that regard, the body now is uh, is the uh, physical element and our feelings are the fluid element. Mm -hmm. And um, the fire is the mind. And when we mean that we talk, we're talking about the state of mind and uh, and the condition of the mind and um let us say the source for thoughts for instance if you if you're angry you're going to be thinking thoughts in a certain direction right but if you're feeling really guilty about something then you're going to be thinking the thoughts in another direction even if it's about the same event so the fire then is the state of mind that we're in we need to start investigating these states of mind. And then the thoughts themselves, the incremental thoughts that they float in and out of, those also should be investigated. So everything is to be investigated, except that <clears throat> when we get um, further enough along so that we can completely control the thoughts that we have and direct the mind, then uh, the uh, objects that need to be investigating are the characteristics in the sense of a Nietzsche, uh, Dukkha, Anatta, uh, the fading away, arising, passing away, and all of that. But we're not talking about the arising and passing away of the physical things around us, but rather the arising and the passing away of the mental states themselves and the thoughts themselves and things like this. All right, so you've got these two Satipatthanas there. And so we begin to practice with that uh, internal Satipatthana going through the uh, Eightfold Noble Path in the process of developing skills. And as we develop the skills, what that means is that we begin to develop taking control over the mind and beginning to put it in a state that's useful, valuable, and wholesome. In other words, we, we brighten the mind or we gladden the mind, and we do that by talking to ourselves to gladden it up and brighten it up. And we also take control of the breath and start breathing more long and deep and satisfying breathing. And then along with that comes the feelings that will come along with that. You see, so that's the way that it works is basically it, it's mind, 
and mental objects, changing the mental objects to change the condition of the mind so that then we can work with the body and change the condition of the body so that we feel really relaxed physically. And now we can begin to feel good on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, when we begin to practice this over and over and over and over and over again, uh, a certain kind of feature starts to arise that we put into the package, and that is confidence that we can do this. Mm-hmm. And when we come to the position that this stuff works so well that it doesn't matter how obstructed the mind gets or what situations I get myself into, but I know that I can get myself back into reality, that I can come out of my trash mind. Mm-hmm. I can gladden my mind up and I can feel good. I do not have to go around feeling afraid. I can feel good. I don't have to feel uncomfortable. I can feel comfortable. I don't have to feel dissatisfied. I can teach myself to feel satisfied. When we do that, that confidence comes up to the point that no matter what happens, I know that I can clean out the mind and get the mind back to a state of be here now and be in the present moment. This is the first knowledge, the Buddha says, and then he says in this first step, this first knowledge on the path is supramundane. It is a factor of the path. It is noble and it is not shared by ordinary people. This, in fact, could be the point because this is the first step on the noble path. This could demark the the beginning of or actually the change of lineage because this is where the Buddha says this is not something that ordinary people can do. Mm -hmm. All right, because what this is, is this is actually, if you think about it, this is the lion club, a cub, (laughs) the lion cub. This is the budding lion, the lion who knows that he can handle anything, which means the change of an attitude from being a victim into a winner, mm-hmm. into a can-do. Does not matter what happens inside my mind, I can clean it out. Now that's a can-do attitude. Mm-hmm. And that is the first step on the path. That's the first knowledge. The second knowledge uh let us say it's actually uh going very quickly through it that the second knowledge is actually the full control of the first jhana so that you can get yourself into the first jhana and stay in the first jhana this would be the second knowledge on the path is control of the mind that not only is the first one on on the path is just that i can control the mind now doing it Then, uh, then in fact, there's another way of looking at it, and that is, is that you've heard of Siva Samati Panya in that order. Siva Samati Panya. This first step of knowledge that I can clean out my mind, that would be the Siva. Mm-hmm. Because now we know that we can separate ourselves from the world, that we can get away from the world, we can rise above the world. Yes. Okay. And then uh, the first jhana would be the the samati, because now we have all the factors gathered together, that the word samati does not mean concentration. It means gathering together the factors. Mm-hmm. And the factors of the first jhana is, number one, back to that first 
point of the of the first knowledge is the removal and the eradication of the hindrances, which would be also the removal and the eradication of all unwholesome thoughts, mm -hmm. so that we only have one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought, which would be applied and sustained wholesome thinking, factor of the path, as well as sukha, which is not only in the Anapanasati Sutta a skill to be developed, but it's the fa a factor of first jhana. Mm. And then this can-do attitude, that winner, that exhilaration, that wow, is the pity, and that is also to be developed in the Anapanasati Sutta and a factor of the first jhana. So mastery then of the first jhana would be the second on the path. Mm -hmm. The second knowledge that is, in fact, super mundane, a factor of the path, noble, and this is certainly not held by ordinary people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the next one is purification of the view. The third is the purification of the view in the sense that once we have the mind set into the first jhana, now we begin to do a real investigation that is completely wholesome. Mm -hmm. Because everything that we see is wholesome because all of our mind states are wholesome. Mm -hmm. So looking now is wholesome at wholesome. And in the process of doing that, we also see what um, begin to see how the mind works. But in relationship of that, by investigating the factors of the first jhana and investigating the factors of the Eightfold Noble Path and how we get this, we come to the strong conclusion of the knowledge of what is and is not the path of life or the path of the Buddha or way that I'm going to live. This is now my lifestyle, okay? The knowledge and vision Beyond a shadow of a doubt, number one, that's the point, is, is that at this point, doubt is eradicated. We've got it. It's locked into place. This thing is locked and loaded, is the way of saying it. Okay. <clears throat> Not a doubt about it. We understand now what the path is. And that uh, it's also a knowledge and vision of what not only is the path, but what is not the path. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole lot of stuff in Buddhism that's been tacked on that is not the path of the Buddha. Okay, mm -hmm. All sorts of magical beliefs and rebirths and reincarnations and uh, magical powers and, and jumping in the dirt and swimming around and reading people's minds and doing all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And in fact, reading people's minds is generally nothing but cold reading mm -hmm. that magician. So it's a skill to be developed. It is not magic. Mm -hmm. I want to go around reading people's minds. I don't think that you want to spend your life doing that because uh, danger of being exposed for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and so um, what also is not the path is following all the rules that in fact this is what we begin to see that silabata paramasa is my attachment to or uh when i say attachment to the rules what i'm actually saying is everything that i've ever heard from the outside world mm 
-hmm. All of what human society teaches each other is a set of rules. And look at it. Any, there, how many billions of people go around following the rules and fitting into society, and how many of them are completely free? Right. It, and so following the rules, and we understand that, that the rules that are made are to be investigated, not followed. Mm-hmm. But things need to be investigated deeply to see really what's going on. And so this is um, uh, what means then is clear vision is when the mind is really solid and fit for work and we can see what's really going on because we're paying attention and looking. We see things that other people don't see. This is something that ordinary people don't can't do. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it seems to be magical powers. Where in fact, it's just the power of observation or the power of be here now. But one of the things about this third step that's so amazing is is that now the the new student who is seeing the knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path, he is determined to get on that path for sure this time. Mm -hmm. All right. And part of that has to do with the investigation of our own wrongdoings, because this is actually the change of lineage is a change of attitude. And that humanity has the attitude is, is that, oh, no, I don't want to get caught for what I've done wrong. I might get punished. OK, and so our society teaches us to lie and to hide from our wrongdoing and our mistakes. But with this understanding of the new part of the path, what's really going on here is, is that we recognize that I'm, my dedication is not to hide and get away with it. Right now, I'm going to stand up, confront it, and, and conquer this dukkha and get rid of it. Which means I will use anything in the service of removing the dukkha, including turning my wrongdoing into learning experiences. Now, one of the qualities of that means that if you really learn from a mistake that you made, you don't make that mistake anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not the same thing as Catholic confessional. To go in and confess to the priest, they give you penance or pay, price to pay some Hail Marys or maybe $100 million. They've got all kinds of plans for all kinds of people. <laughs> But the point is, is that go and send some more. Right. Is the point that you we absolve you of your sins, but we do not give you the tools to be free from the sin. You great. just get to take like you get to take a daily dump. Yeah. Yes, hell are full of shit. <laughs> 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 to where what this is is this is now dedication to rehabilitating oneself that we really do want to look at what we have done wrong so that we can make corrections Mm. that we listen to criticism but we have to put that criticism into context of is this guy criticizing out of jealousy or ignorance or does he see something that's useful valuable and wholesome that should be looked at and so we look at it like that in the sense of we're here to get rid of the dukkha and we will use our mistakes 
that in fact in the sutta should be said is, is that the entire Patty Moak ceremony, the once a month and in some places uh, once every two weeks, the Patty Moak ceremony is all about this. This is the confessional in the sense that um, once the the, uh, the Patty Moak ceremony begins, all of the monks in that ceremony have not now already gotten over and are absolved of all of their wrongdoing mm -hmm. with the intention of being finished with it. Right. And so, and this is part of the ceremony. When you understand what's going on, like uh, the Buddha says, <clears throat> oh, monks here, do you see anyone in this assembly who has um, committed one of these offenses and the monks will always look around and then say no now also during the reading of the patty monk it's expected that if a monk has actually committed one of those offenses he is to acknowledge it right then in public yeah me i raised my hand okay any liars here yeah if i'm one <laughs> anybody had a sniff of booze yeah i did that too <laughs> Um, and and so this um, public knowledge, rather than hiding and trying to get away with it, is a real mental change of lineage. Mm -hmm. To feel like that you're open and among friends who are there to help you get over your crap, rather than to blame you for still being in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah, this is a major part of the path. In fact, this is kind of the tilting point. You can think of a teeter-totter or a balanced scale. And when you put enough on this side, the thing tilts from one to the other. Mm -hmm. All right. So this point, this middle point of seven, this number four, is actually the balance point where it tips the soda pond out of the path of soda pond into the fruit of soda pond. It's sort of like over the hill. Everything up to this point is how all has been uphill climb. And this last fourth one is quite a climb, quite a step to take. Right. The mentality that my mistakes are my friends, not my yeah. enemies. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, what a load off. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I've been like taking taking that attitude on in stages sort of over the last couple of years <laughs> just like because it's more yeah and it's just like more and more it's like oh yeah like what if like what if this is for my benefit and then you know you find the next thing that the mind is like tries to make an exception out of and be like oh but not that and there's like nope actually that too <laughs> mm -hmm. okay so the fifth one is as one grows in this, they become dedicated to the Dhamma. Dedicated in the sense that they finally know now what their moment by moment life is going to be is the investigation of the Dhamma. One of the examples is, is that even though the monk has uh, duties at the what, like sweeping the path, he is sweeping the path with his mind focused on the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. All right. And another example in that one is, is that a mother cow who has a, a baby calf, though the mother cow is grazing, she is keeping an eye on that calf. Right. So that uh, if any predator comes, 
In fact, she's even going to be standing and guarding the cow to uh, the calf to make sure that uh, the most likely place for enemies to come from, she's going to be on the side of the calf to protect the calf. Right. And so mom's always got that little calf in mind, whatever she's doing, she's got an eye on that calf. This is how we begin to do the Dhamma. It doesn't matter what we're doing. This is Dhamma. <laughs> that there's no longer any separation. Everything we're doing is Dhamma. And then um, the step six there means that we become eager to find the Dhamma, eager to listen to the Dhamma, eager to find a teacher who knows the Dhamma, who is, who is teaching it. And so we become eager to hear the Dhamma, eager to find the Dhamma. We're really, really eager. We can call this eager, enthusiastic, and we can also hear words like devotion, dedication. But we're not, that's not what we're doing. There's no reason for devotion because devotion is to something or dedicating to something. We're just enthusiastic. That's a difference, okay? It's eager, it's enthusiastic, it's, yeah, we got this, all right? Going back to that first part uh, of, yeah, I can control the mind, it's now, yeah, let me get a really big load of the Dhamma. I mean, wow, look what's going on here, okay? And that's step six. That's that enthusiasm. And then step seven is the full-on delight of the full understanding that this is it, I've got it, mm -hmm. all right? And not only that, but I'm dedicated to this uh, triple gem, this brand new prize, and I'm delighted with it because I know that I can't lose it. Got it now, okay? So this is actually now the full on path, uh, fruit of the path of the soda pond, which is different than the kind of soda pond that you find on Reddit. Mm -hmm. the, they've got soda pond, but they've got their definition of soda pond that has to do with experience. Mm -hmm. And so they like this experience, they like that experience, and they think that that's meditation and whatnot. Uh -huh. Generally, uh, those experiences that we're talking about here that some people say, <clears throat> and in fact, I've heard people say, oh, my teacher told me that I, because I had that experience that I was soda pond. Yeah. But generally, we finish with those kinds of experiences before we ever come to the point of, I can do this. Uh-huh. <clears throat> right. Generally, what happens when the students have an experience, they start wanting that experience again. Mm -hmm. So they're back into want, they're back into being a victim. Right. And that this is a, a very, very strange catch-22 that anything uh, spiritual that you want, because you want it, you don't have it. That wanting is actually like a tattoo of non-entry. Yeah. Is, uh, that in fact, if you want something, it's like sticking your finger in the inkwell uh, like they do in the Middle East for voting. And you go up to vote again and your fingers got this ink all over. Sorry, you can't vote. <laughs> You've already got ink all over your finger. Well, sorry, you can't have joy in it because you've got the ink of greed for joy. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, sort of the, the beginning for me of like seeing the experiences that I judged as negative as like an important part of the path was was that where it's like I sort of realized that these like the sort of peak experiences you're talking about that those that those helped like increase my faith but they ultimately it was like engaging with the other stuff that produced changes you know that, that made my life better and easier you know that all hell yeah all those like interesting experiences did were like I don't I mean I guess they confirmed something but they didn't they didn't bring about any like lasting change well that's it is is that when we have an experience then we want that experience again and so we've added the desire for that experience into the mix and that what happened was is that by wanting that experience again that really meant that the student wasn't really really observing what he did and how he got that it got himself into that experience Mm -hmm. but i learned that kind of early early on won't go into the details of it but um I investigated the second time I wanted that and it didn't happen because I wanted it. And then I had to reflect, well, wait a minute, what did I do the first time that got me into that? And let me repeat that procedure. And I kept doing it and it came back again. Yeah. So that was that was the way that um, that when we're wanting something, we can't get it that we have to stop wanting and to start going back into the procedure of uh, the the wholesome thought. Now, at that time when I had done that, I did not even know that I was actually following the teachings of the Buddha. I didn't even have that clue then. I'd known about Buddhism, but not not this point about that you have to keep gladdening the mind and keep gladdening the mind and keep gladdening the mind over and over and over again to develop that habit of gladdening the mind and taking deep breaths and having thoughts about the breath and and that kind of thing. And you just keep doing that over and over again, and you can have these experiences again. Learning not only to have those experiences, we could call those experiences kind of sukha, Mm -hmm. kind of pleasure. Um, uh, And the, um, the interpretation then that the mind itself, when we get, when we feel that way, we wonder why and then we invent something or we concoct a reason mm-hmm. and sometimes it winds up being past life experiences sometimes we're sitting on the lap of god sometimes uh, you know oh this is john all kinds of things like that where in fact no it's just a momentary feel good and mm-hmm. when we start trying to figure out why i feel good now the mind is back into turmoil again confusion <laughs> doubt all of that right and so <laughs> experiences don't last long yeah so something i've been noticing lately since i've been trying to practice with this idea of gladdening the mind is like i've been catching like catching moments of of dissatisfaction and like kind of really like letting letting that go but i i haven't like yeah so i feel like there's there's some ability to like release the dissatisfaction but I wonder if you could say more about like bringing about like the the actual like the gladdening you know is that is that related or is that something different well all you're you're boring on asking the question that some students ask in the sense of yeah i've got joy but i want more joy 
Hmm. Let's get more joy. Okay. Well, that's just want. That's being dissatisfied with the joy you have. Hmm. Rather than, um, let us say, working with, and we can actually in this context talk about concentration or focus mm -hmm. on the 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 satisfaction itself. This is good enough. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself. This is okay right now. I find. Isn't it all right? Really? I mean, can't we just allow it to be okay finally? I mean, it's not wonderful, but it's nice enough. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. It's not suffering. You see, the Buddha never promised anybody super duper bliss. Right. Nobody, uh, he didn't promise heaven, so whatever like that. And he promised the removal of suffering, the removal of dissatisfaction. Right. So that okay, so, so, this, yeah. so let's get into a state of just, just a tiny little bit of I'm okay I'm I'm satisfied, mm -hmm. and start working with that and letting that seed grow. Right. So it's yeah, let, letting go of the dissatisfaction and then not not wanting or needing anything to take its place, but realizing that that is that's that's yes. That right now it's okay. Mm -hmm. Just sitting here watching the breathing and everything is okay. I don't have to change anything. Everything is fine. No worries. Okay. Joy in the sense of um, nothing to do and no place to go. Everything is okay. Well, relax. And so that's an element too. Step four of Anapanasati is just let the body relax. Relax and be comfortable. There's kind of a balance there. In sitting meditation, the most relaxed posture is sitting up straight. Because if we're bent over, gravity is pulling us down and causing back pain and back muscles. If we stood up too strong, then that means that we're using muscles that we don't even need to use. But if we're just really sitting up straight, then everything is easy. Everything is fine. No problems. And that's the way to practice is everything is okay. Everything's all right. No worries. So we just keep practicing that way, making sure that the body is comfortable. If the body is comfortable, it will relax. If the body is uncomfortable, then the mind's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be in a state of aversion. And so getting the body comfortable is a good, good thing. And yet in Western meditation, they think that sitting long periods of time has some value and they wind up sitting in pain because uh, the body gets stiff. Mm -hmm. And so now they start looking for cushions. <laughs> I used to have a Lord Jesus Christ that will save me. Now it's just six, seven or eight cushions. <laughs> one, under, one under each knee, <laughs> one under each buttocks. <laughs> and recognizing that, no, we're, this, is, this is a mental exercise of relaxing the body and sitting up straight is a good thing to do and just let things relax but we don't need to practice so long that the body starts to hurt. So, 
how would you practice like if there's some discomfort in the body based on like a past action like overeating or eating the wrong thing or something? Ah, well, that's mindfulness in the sense of wow, I look what happened. Right. Cause cause and effect. Uh -huh. All right. In that regard, I would say uh, uh, walking it off would be a good thing to do. Mm. If you're uncomfortable just sitting, normally you want to just sit for digestion of food, but if you're uh, agitated and, and stomach growling and whatnot like that, then, then go walking. Sure. And in fact, that's what they um, uh, teach at Watso and Milk uh, at the retreats that they do there. They don't have people sitting for a long time, only about 30 minutes. Um, but even then, the instruction is that they can um, move, they can stand up, even walk outside if, if uh, the body is uh, tense or tight. That always the point is comfort. Mm -hmm. But most meditation practices in the West with the retreats and what all, it winds up becoming a competition of who can sit the longest. <laughs> I've been there, done that too. <laughs> so you can see now that this, this practice of Anapanasati brings about the jhana factors as well as this first step of getting the, to the point that it, actually that first stage is like the wow factor of, wow, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a, it's a deeper level of satisfaction because now this is the change of attitude. That first step on the path is a change of lineage because it's a change of attitude. From, oh, poor me, who can I get to help? And the hot dog, I can do this myself. Oh, wow, what an attitude that is. Yeah. That's a, that's a main change of attitude is that I can do this. Because I got all, well, not necessarily yet. We don't have know that we've got all the tools. But we do know that we can clean out the mind. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, um, a good kind of stopping point for the Buddha to talk about it, that this is that first step that is noble, it is super mundane, it's not part of the world. And above all, it's not held by ordinary people. And so I invite you to change your lineage. Come a winner, come a lion, or at least this lion cub. That attitude that we can handle this. Yes. And so these are the uh, seven uh, stages. And that last one that we started this conversation with, step seven, is the uh, Dhamma Rata. Mm -hmm. Complete delight in the Dhamma. But it's a long uh, set of, uh, of steps. Those steps can be gone through fairly easily and quickly. But, it, but they are skills that have to be developed. Right. Um, when Zen talks about sudden enlightenment, sudden enlightenment doesn't happen like an automobile accident where somebody's not watching what they're doing. Right. Okay. 
that that sudden kind of enlightenment is actually a culmination of the skills that have come together almost as if he was he had all the skills but one and he was missing a piece of the puzzle yeah and then he gets it and finally it's complete and he gets it it reminds me of uh what what they say about like the the years of work that go into becoming an overnight success <laughs> precisely that's exactly correct um but it's actually rather than doing it that way because that's actually in a way a hard way the easy way uh is to d start to practice correctly from the very beginning because normally what the piece of the puzzle is missing a lot of people develop sati that in fact sati is the primary skill that is developed with the mahasi method but they're um uh they're noting that they're doing is not the kind of noting that the Buddha would want. He's looking more for an investigation with discernment rather than just noting. Right. So basically what they're practicing is the development of the skill of sati. Uh, to where Anapanasati has more to it than that. It has the skill of the discernment as well as the skill of the right effort. Mm -hmm to make the change from unwholesome to wholesome, to actually gladden the mind, to take right. control, okay? That in way of, one way of talking about it, that this is a practice where you really have skin in the game. Yeah. This is not a spectator sport, the way that many people think. And in fact, that's what you would see in uh, Mahasi method of the noting is a spectator sport. Just notice what's there. Right. Okay, or notice what the body is doing. Here, we're we're uh, we're not spectators. We are the sport. Mm -hmm. This is contact sports. Put skin in the game. This you have to actually take control of the breath, take control of the mind, put in it what you want to have in it, rather than what just steeped in over the years. And so when you know that you can do that, when you know that you can put in the mind what you want to have in the mind, anytime you want to, you can put them into the mind the right stuff. That's the first step of the path. That's the first knowledge. Is when you know that you can change your mind anytime you want to. Yeah, the other thing that I've noticed practicing this is that like it's it's easier to do when there's more energy present. Actually, that's where enthusiasm comes in. Mm -hmm. That when you're enthusiastic about something, the effort is easier. Mm -hmm. You have no enthusiasm, it's really a lot of effort. Right. But when you're enthusiastic about, ah, oh, this is easy enough. Yeah. Sort of like the old song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Right. It's just, yeah, like sometimes, because it's just, you know, there's like those recurring like habits to of like the mind to like go off in other directions or try and find something to, to want or to be distracted about. And it like, it seems like the, the uh, re, like to just, the perseverance of just like, oh, nope, nope, actually we don't need to do that. Everything's fine now. Like it's, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes that energy is there, and sometimes it's it's more just like you know I trust that I will return to this later, but right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to trust that you will return later. In fact, you might want to trust that hey, I don't have to do that next time either. I don't even have to do this much of it. <laughs> I can let the old darn thing go. <laughs> And if you say, no, I want to remember this thought so that I can write it down in a book or something, then you can say, ah, oh, look at that, too. There's more clinging. And, and mm-hmm. I could, instead of thinking about clinging to that thought, I could just, because that's part of the trust, that you can trust it. Of course you can remember it. Yeah, right. Think of it now, you can think of it later. Yeah. Let it go. <laughs> what you eventually write is not what you're thinking anyway. So why should you not only think about it, but then say, oh, I should remember this. Right. Oh, you don't have to do that. You can just say, hey, I can let all that go. I don't need any of that. Right. And then, yeah, the, so the the discernment of like. When it when it is like OK to act or when it's just something to let go of is like the, the quality of the. The mind that's motivating it mm-hmm. that's exactly right this is what we're looking for this is what we mean by the investigation of the states that's a way of saying the quality of the mind keep investigating what's the quality of the mind what is it right now let's 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 go dancing you know <laughs> yeah And so we begin to notice the quality of the mind. That's a very good use of the term rather than investigation of the states because nobody knows what that means. But yeah, how good is it right now? Is it good enough or is it trash roughing somebody else or telling lies about something or using harsh language or wanting something it doesn't have, you know, all that kind of stuff? Or is the mind in a satisfied place? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that's really, really been coming home for me is like a, a very healthy, I think, distrust of like, oh, if I'm agitated, like if I'm upset at someone else and like I want to like do something to make it right. It's like, actually, you know, no matter how good the story my mind is having, I don't I don't trust acting from that energy. I don't think it's going to bring about anything that I want. Yes, but in fact, um, thoughts of revenge or getting back at someone generally is a hindrance yes (laughs) let's get ourselves into a good state and feeling really really good and happy and then when thoughts of that person come up they will be thoughts of kindness yes but right now if i think about him it will not be kind so let's not think about him (laughs) let's get our mind into into kindness be kind to ourselves and then we can let it spread out from there Mm -hmm. and so dwelling and thinking about someone else or intentionally telling yourself that you should love him Mm -hmm. or may all beings be happy and that kind of stuff is uh dangerous because it's not actually doing the investigating of the underlying feelings that we need to investigate that thought feeling complex recognize how we feel because we know that we can change that 
So it's all a matter of investigation. This is what the Satipatthana is all about, is all about investigation. And when you have that position of, I know that I can remember to investigate all of this stuff, and come out and investigate it to the point that I can come out of my own crap into the reality of the moment. Because the reality of the moment is almost always marvelous enough. Right. Uh, it's, it's just so funny how, like, how many tricks the mind has to, like, lure you back into it. Like, <laughs> it's like even, even in this moment, like, I can sense, like, a, like, searching for, like, more, like, I don't know, like more like wisdom or more down more knowledge rather than just like no, like this it's fine right now. It's yeah, this is good enough. <laughs> Great. Well, Andrew, let's bring this call to a close then. Yeah. And um this is um something I've really enjoyed talking about it. I like to review this stuff with the students because it, it uh has enormous value. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. All right, well we'll see you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye.